0: All right, well please go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, most of you have probably looked at a baby at some point in time and said, "Man, that is the life." Babies have it easy, don't they? I mean, they eat and then they sleep. And then they sleep a little more, and then they get up, and somebody's there to feed them again. They just lay around and chill. And if that's not enough, there's usually a constant parade of people that are coming by to entertain them. They make funny faces to them. They speak some sort of gibberish that, for whatever reason, the adults find absolutely hilarious. Um, If you were a baby, you might think, this is the life. Food, sleep, chilling, and entertainment if your baby brain was developed enough to actually think that complex of thoughts, but it's not. And not only is the baby brain very early in its development, so is the baby's body. You see, babies can't walk themselves to the bathroom. Babies can't clean themselves up after they go. They can't feed themselves. They can't effectively communicate what it is that they want or what they need or even what they feel. They can't dress themselves or even decide or articulate what they want to wear. And they don't know what's best for themselves. They have no experience in life. They have no wisdom, no development to think through. And they are incapable of providing or caring for themselves. Now, this morning, as we continue preaching through Ephesians 4, we're going to see God's directive and good design for his people to grow from spiritual infants, spiritual babies, into spiritual adults. Specifically, we're going to see a warning of the dangers of spiritual immaturity. We're gonna see the means of growing in spiritual maturity, and we're gonna see the context which God has designed for true spiritual growth to happen. This morning, we're gonna see by God's design believers grow to spiritual maturity in the context of a unified local community of christ followers let me say it again by god's design believers grow to spiritual maturity in the context of a unified local community of christ followers now so far in ephesians we've seen that god has redeemed a diverse people who did not deserve or earn it he's made them to be one in him And he's graciously given varied gifts to those individuals. And we're going to be focusing on specifically verses 14 through 16 today in chapter 4. But I want to start reading in verse 11 as that's the immediate context for our verses here. So let's look at Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So as we covered last week, specific offices were given to the church. The the purpose of these offices is for equipping the saints for the work of ministry, until we attain the unity of faith, growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, achieving mature manhood, the fullness of Christ, it says. Then verse 14 said the reason for that, so that we may no longer be children. So for my first point today, we're going to look at the effect of spiritual immaturity that's described in verse 14. So point one is spiritual immaturity. And when we look at verse 14 again, we see the purpose for the saints doing the work of ministry, so that we may no longer be children. And we also see a couple of metaphors that describe the effect of those who are spiritual children. Ephesians verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Now, the Greek word translated children here is most often translated in the Bible as infants. Paul's saying in verse 14, don't keep on being babies spiritually. As Mike stated last week, we all start as spiritual infants. There's nothing wrong with that. At conversion, we're spiritual babies. But we're not supposed to stay that way. So look again at how Paul describes spiritual infants. He says, they're tossed to and fro by the waves. Do you remember the picture Mike put up last week of the Perfect Storm movie poster of the waves? It also says, we're carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Hear this, the spiritually immature lack stability in their lives when the waves of life are crashing against them, they do not have the stability that is found in the solid rock of Christ. They're consistently pushed off course and they're at the mercy of the current pushing them. Paul then gives that other metaphor of being carried away by the wind, carried away by new winds of doctrine, new truth claims, the cunning of man, the trickery of deceitful people. Have you ever had vertigo before? Or if you've stepped off of a boat that you've been on for a while onto land and you feel like things are still moving, Um, or maybe it's just me getting old, but sometimes I stand up and I just got to wait for a minute to get my footing, there can be a quick rush of fear and confusion as you're trying to find your footing. You're trying to get your bearings and stabilize yourself. Paul is saying in verse 14 that the spiritually immature struggle to find their footing. They struggle to keep their course. They struggle to be stable in the midst of external forces that are exerting pressure on them. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. In our culture, there are many external forces seeking to exert pressure on us in fact the media and most internet content providers have learned what have they learned they've learned that the most scandalous the most fear-inducing the most alarmist type of headlines are the ones that get read the most and this is an industry that gets paid based on how many people consume their content and then collecting information about those people and selling it to others They have every financial incentive to get you to read their content. It's where we get the term clickbait. And you are what they're fishing for and the information about you. They then sell it to others. For example, most of you know what Facebook is. Facebook is free, yet it has thousands of employees, a massive technology infrastructure, and all the expenses that come with running a large business, yet they are incredibly profitable. How do they do this? Well, they sell information that they collect about the people who are using their service. You'd be like, well, how much can that really be worth, Christopher? That can't be that much, can it? Well, just last year, Apple introduced a new feature into their Safari internet browser. It's a feature to provide transparency of how you're being tracked. So if you're using Safari, the first time you go to a website, it says, hey, you're being tracked, do you want to accept all cookies or manage your preferences? Most people just hit accept all cookies because they're annoyed something came up or they hit the X to close it. Some people take the five or 10 seconds to open and then uncheck some ways that the site wants to track them and collect information about that. Well, Facebook had to explain to investors in their first quarter of this year, 2022, their, their report to their investors. They had to explain that that one feature that Apple introduced, so the fraction of users who used Safari as an internet browser and took the time to turn off certain tracking things cost Facebook $12 billion dollars in first quarter of 2022 information about you and you are the real product of most social media and media out there now these content providers sometimes they are dispensing legitimate accurate helpful information providing a helpful service sometimes through human cunning and craftiness there are claims that are exaggerated, or one person's opinion is presented as if it's globally accepted truth, or accurate statistics are craftily reported and some not reported to promote this agenda or to promote this agenda. It is no wonder that people who are feasting on the information that's provided to them by the culture, people being influenced by the world around them, have little sense of stability. Ephesians says that the lack of spiritual maturity is evidenced through being less discerning, being gullible, easily tricked, easily deceived, and as a result, understandably being tossed to and fro and blown off course. The danger of this, and thus the importance of the believer's intentional effort to avoid this, is repeated throughout the epistles In Peter's second epistle, he warns this, 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter says that these false teachers often operate in secret, and they must be really attractive for so many people to follow their heresy. Many will follow their sensuality into blasphemy and destruction. See, the spiritually immature are easy pickings for folks like this. We know bullies prey on the weak and spiritual bullies prey on the spiritually weak. Peter closes a second letter reminding them of this danger in 2 Peter 3. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity amen see there is danger and risk in remaining a spiritual infant there are actually only two ways the bible tells us to be like children the first one Jesus says in Matthew 18 where he says we're to be childlike in our faith. He says, let the children come to me. We're supposed to be childlike in how we trust God. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 says this. He says, in regards to evil, be infants. Those are the only two ways the Bible tells us to be like children. So let me ask you, do you have an honest desire to grow spiritually spiritually? Is there a healthy discontent with where you are in your relationship with the Lord? Not that you can't be content in the moment, but you're not content to stay there. Are you being complacent at all in that? Are you spiritually like many modern adolescents who exert so much effort and energy to avoid adulting? Richard Koken observes this. He says, It's all too easy to be content to be a spiritual Peter Pan who wanted to remain forever a boy and never grow up. It's tempting to keep clinging to childish, immature views of guidance or angels or judgment, etc., rather like a grown man clutching his childhood teddy bear. Like Tim Hudson described last week in his personal testimony, Are you content to simply have hell insurance and then live life on your own terms for your own kingdom purposes? Maybe you find yourself easily swayed by the sensual arguments out there of crafty people, easily drawn into controversy, often feeling overwhelmed and tossed to and fro by news reports and by sinful actions of others and life in general. If so... This is biblical evidence of your need for spiritual growth. And I have great news for you. The next verse tells us God's design for growing up spiritually. So let's move to our second point spiritual maturity. Let's look at verse 15 again. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So the word rather here is both instructive. And full of hope. You see, as we just saw, Paul just described the experience of the spiritually immature. And now he's saying, don't do that. Rather, do this instead, so you grow up in every way. He's saying, don't be verse 14, be verse 15. So what does Paul say is this one-size-fits-all solution that's going to result in growth in every way, every area where there's spiritual immaturity? He says, speaking the truth in love. Now, if the Greek behind this was translated literally, it would read like this, truthing in love, truthing in love. See, there are two components in this solution. There's a truth component and a love component. And the truth component is not passive, it is active, In fact, in English, the form of speech used here is a gerund. A gerund is a noun that derives its meaning from a verb like swimming or walking, things like that. The literal Greek truthing is speaking of something derived from action. Another way to articulate what Ephesians is telling us here is that true spiritual growth comes from truth in action coupled with love or truth expressed in love and this activity of truthing in love is the key to spiritual growth what did it say there in every area every area so let's take a moment and consider these two components separately so let's first look at truth what does truth actually mean here that seems like that would be important to know Often people will use this verse as justification for sharing some scathing observation about someone, but making it a little bit more gentle because we're supposed to speak it in love. For example, somebody might say, Christopher, you are a horrible person. Do better. I'm only saying this because I love you. (laughs) Is that really what verse 15 is talking about? Well, praise the Lord, no, it's not. Um, The immediate context Demonstrates that this act of truth is all about doctrinal truth. See, the equippers of the saints that were listed in verse 11, John Piper calls those people truth agents because every one of those offices given to the church to equip the saints centers on the truth of God, the truth of Christ, and the truth of the gospel. Verse 13 says that the goal of this building up the body of Christ, remember, is to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The aim of the building is a unified knowledge, a unified grasp of what is true. And we saw in verse 14 that Paul's big concern of not growing up in Christ-likeness is that we will be blown around by every wind of doctrine. The stability that we need is true doctrine. So we are not deceived by what? By false doctrine. 2 Peter 1.3 says His divine power, talking about the Lord, has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of Him, through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So the truth in action that's described here is biblical truth, truth about God, who He is, what He has done. It's not simply truth about our shortcomings. It's not truth about how we have failed. It's truth about God's sufficiency, about God's promises, about God's character, about God's heart, about God's actions. The truth we are supposed to truth in love about is about God. See, the way to grow is to pursue truth, which is found in God's Word, and in even God Himself is described as truth, And then to act on it, do it, believe it, proclaim it, treasure it. Knowing is important, but acting on this truth is what starts to change us. Yet verse 15 tells us that truth acting isn't quite enough. It should be packaged with love. So what do we know about love? Well, we know a lot about love revealed in God's Word, but let's look at a couple of things. In 1 John 4, 9 through 10, it tells us that love is demonstrated in Jesus dying on the cross to take the punishment for sin that we deserved. Love is self-sacrificing, even when, and especially when, we don't deserve it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 will be on the screen here. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. See, this is the package. This is the package for truth in action. Is this how we package truth when we're sharing it with others? Are we believing the best when we truth with other people? Are we patient? Are we arrogant? Do we insist on our own way? You see, both truth in action and love are required for the spiritual growth described here in Ephesians 4. What happens when one of these is missing? John Stott encapsulates this very well. He says, Thank God that there are those in the contemporary church who are determined at all costs to defend and uphold God's revealed truth. But sometimes they are conspicuously lacking in love. When they think they smell heresy, their nose begins to twitch, their muscles ripple, and the light of battle enters their eye. They seem to enjoy nothing more than a fight. Others make the opposite mistake. They are determined at all costs to maintain and exhibit brotherly love, but in order to do so are prepared even to sacrifice the central truths of revelation. Both these tendencies are unbalanced and unbiblical. Truth becomes hard if it is not softened by love. Love becomes soft if it is not strengthened by truth. We are drawn to a crackling fire in a fireplace on a cold winter night. Because it provides both light and warmth. And such is the perfect combination of truth and love. Truth without love is like the light of a fire without warmth. Love without truth is like the heat of a fire without light. Truth without love makes people cold in the light. Love without truth makes people stumble in the dark. Paul told the Corinthian church that if we didn't have love, then we're just like noisy gongs or clanging cymbals. Ephesians says that simply being right does not produce true spiritual growth. It also tells us that love without truth does not produce true spiritual growth. But when both are packaged together, working in concert, the body will grow spiritually in every way, Into Christ, who is the head of the church. Do you tend to lean more toward one of these than the other? It could be helpful to consider if there's one of these areas that you're more prone to lack in in your interactions with people. Ask the people closest to you. You see, this truthing of love in love, it's not happening in a vacuum. Lone Ranger Christianity is not a recipe for spiritual success. Church via internet blog or by subscribing to a good YouTube channel does not produce the spiritual growth described here in chapter 4 because truthing in love is successful when done in the context of a local church community. My third point today is spiritual community. Now, let's refresh ourselves on verses 15 and 16 again. It says, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom, from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, the sentence structure here in verses 15 and 16 is broken up by a participle phrase. Beginning with the word joined. So let's omit that participle phrase just for a moment without that phrase modifying what's being said. And let's just look and see without that phrase for a minute. It says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see that there? It's the church that builds the church up. The body builds itself up in love. Now, we would have to ignore everything we've seen in Ephesians from the very beginning to conclude that verse 16 here is saying that our growth is entirely dependent on us. Remember the broader context of what we've been seeing Chapter 1, God has saved a people for Himself. He's given them every spiritual blessing in Christ. He's made them into a body which is the fullness of Him who fills all in all and of which He Himself is the head. Chapter 2 tells us that this is an undeserved gift. We didn't deserve this. And He's going to grant this gift to diverse peoples who He will then unify with Himself and unify with each other chapter 3 he says this this group of unified people the universal church will display god's glory or they will be the manifold wisdom of god on display throughout the whole earth and that he fills them with his holy spirit to strengthen them and to enable them to know him fully And then chapter 4 begins to instruct this redeemed people on how to walk out these realities in a manner worthy of their calling, it says. God reminds them of their unity with Him and their unity with each other. He gives them varied gifts for the intent of building up the body. He appoints truth agents to equip them for the work of ministry so they can grow in unity and knowledge. They are then to be truthing in love so they may grow in every way and thus building themselves up into christ and how is the body effective at doing this well let's put back in that participle phrase that we omitted. rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love from christ the whole body is joined together by every joint each part working properly which makes the body grow god designed the local community the local church to be the agent of change as his spirit conforms believers more into his likeness this church joined together exercising the various gifts being unified with the no one left behind mentality truthing in love and thus building itself up a preacher once stated the obvious when he said an isolated christian cannot minister to others nor can others minister to him and it is impossible for the gifts to be ministered either way. Kind of obvious, but helpful to think about. See, spiritual growth requires relationship with other believers, and not just the ones like you. Not just the ones who share the same gifts as you. See, the whole body working properly together is essential for this spiritual growth. That means... I need you, and you need me. That requires mutual, relational commitment to each other, all operating in the context of love. Now, at Risen Hope Church, we demonstrate our commitment to each other in this way through church membership. We sign relational commitments. We make a relational covenant together, saying to all other members of this community, I am acknowledging my commitment to you and to this community. I'm acknowledging that I will use my gifts to build you up, and I need your gifts to build me up. Furthermore, I will do this in the context of love, and I agree to be accountable to others to that end. I commit that if and when conflicts arise, I will seek to be a peacemaker, and I will lean in to reconciliation to faithfully steward our unity in Christ. I am here for you, and you can count on me by God's grace for His glory alone. It's why church attendance alone does not produce the true spiritual growth called for in Scripture. This is also one major reason why margin in our schedules is so very important, because we need to make time for community community and relating takes time. My growth and your growth depends on it. Verse 16 says we must be joined together and working properly. That requires time with each other. Now let me also comment on one danger that affects many churches today. If I'm called to be in community with you, if I'm called to be truthing in love with you, I need to know you. If I never interact with you, it is so much harder for me to benefit from the gifts God has given you to help build me up. Now, I'm not saying that you need to be best friends with every member of your local church, but do you at least know who they are? Do you seek to be known by others, especially those not like you? and have different interests and gifts than you? You see, like is attracted to like. I like board games. I'm most likely going to really enjoy talking to others about board games, and I have with some in these, church. See, we don't have to try hard to connect with people like us. Young moms find young moms. Teens find teens. Music people find music people. But if this is all we do, We risk not being a unified church where all the joints are connected and working together properly. We risk becoming one church made up of a number of ingrown homogenous groups who know little about anybody outside their sphere of interest. They know little about the others that they have joined in covenant with. And if someone does not fit in easily to one of these groups, what happens to them? Unintentionally but easily, they can become ostracized and not be benefiting from the community that Scripture calls us to. See, spiritual maturity happens in the context of spiritual community. I want to challenge you to meet someone new every week we gather. I want to challenge you to build a relationship with someone with whom the only thing you have in common is Jesus. I guarantee you that if Christ is the only thing you have to talk about, then you are going to more effectively be built up. So much more than a lively conversation about board games, baby formulas, funny YouTube videos, or memes. Now, don't hear me wrong. Conversations about these things are not bad. Don't be, like, scared to have a conversation with someone about that. But they're going to happen without much effort. We don't need to try to do that. But those are certainly not the most important things to build each other up in spiritual maturity. So try and get to know the members of your local community on some level because by God's good design, they are a key part of your spiritual growth. Also, if you've been attending Risen Hope for a period of time, and you've not become members, I want to urge you to consider becoming members. We have another starting point class coming up in June to give you an opportunity to learn more about Risen Hope Church and help determine, is this the local community that God is calling you to join with in relational covenant? And if it's not, that's okay. He has a different place for you. But if this is it, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, for those who are already members, are you fulfilling the relational commitment you agreed to? Let's lean in all the more, all the more to truthing in love with each other so that we may grow up in every way into Christ who is the head. God has promised to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We have great hope because it is Christ that works in us to accomplish this. We can lean in with confidence because he who promised is faithful. family, let's lean into this because by God's good providential design, believers grow to spiritual maturity in the context of a unified local community of Christ followers. Sean, can you come on up please? We're going to close our time this morning with sharing the Lord's Supper together. This is another way that we truth in love together. Two weeks ago, we celebrated baptism, celebrating the union that we have with Christ. In the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the communion that we have with Christ and the communion that we have with each other as the Spirit nourishes our soul doing this all in remembrance of the atoning sacrifice of Christ for us. The sacrifice that redeems sinners and makes it possible for man to be reconciled to God and with each other. Now, we have some stations here in the corners set up. This is open to all baptized believers in Christ, but if you're not a follower of Christ, or if you have sin that you are unwilling to repent of before the Lord, please do not bring condemnation on yourself by participating in this meal. Scripture has harsh warnings for those that go through the motions of this while not having their heart right with him. Instead, consider the offer of Christ to forgive the sin of those who have godly sorrow for their sin And they desire to repent and follow Christ instead of pursuing their sin. Now before you go and get the elements, let's examine our hearts. Let's repent of anything that we need to. If you have an unconfessed sin against another brother or sister in this fellowship, I would encourage you to please go and humbly ask forgiveness from them before taking this meal.